This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Welcome to the Escape Hour, everyone. Mm. Uh, Mark is away this week. He has been travelling around with his new role, uh, his new job. So he is away for today. But instead, you've got Stefan and I, and we're going to muddle our way through yes. with the, uh, with the, we have a great professional in our, uh, um, studio today, mm. and that is Chris Zyre from Lonely Planet. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me back. It's been a couple of months, so it's nice to be back in the studio. It's It's always lovely to have you. Absolutely, Mm. and it means that it's really less work for us because uh, (laughs) you're here and, you know, you know the drill and you can talk the the head off a... What's the phrase? I don't Um, know. I'm not sure. Oh, that's some (laughs) Australian phrase. One of my... All my staff will say, oh, Chris is on... Yeah, Chris is on for an hour. He'll he'll just talk and talk and talk and talk. (laughs) Exactly. And we don't need to uh, coax anything from you. Although I must say, it is actually quite fun coaxing people, uh, information and stories from people. I do love a prodding question, though. A little prodding question is always quite nice because it can take you off on a little tangent that you might not even know about yourself. So, um, you know, I hate that whole politician rehearsed thing it's got to come it's got to come naturally right <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. and mm, also the yeah. other thing is that that's where the stories lie in this untold little anecdote i mean totally i, I work in public relations and sometimes i'm talking to people i'm like i'm trying to extract a story from them so i can find out more and they might just have an anecdote something completely random and i'll go oh there you go. That's it. That's, That's the it. nugget. The nugget. That's the pace I need. Quick, let me call the age. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming in and taking some time out of your Saturday and missing your. Do you know what? Gym I time. actually, um, I actually much prefer this than the five a.m. Sunday starts to go on weekend today. This is actually this 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 the time slot is gorgeous. Cruisy. <laughs> I also try to take advantage of the time slot to do a little shopping in mm. town. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always always a shop you can visit, or a little new coffee bar that you have to kind of try, try out, right? Yes, that's it. Oh, or a, you know, a new gin bar, for example. <laughs> Isn't it a bit early for a gin? No bar? way. Well, By the time we finish the show, my father has a twelve o'clock rule. He's like, mm. oh, it's twelve o'clock, time for champagne. Well, I think we were talking about gin. I was in the Qantas lounge in, in, in London and they've got this massive gin bar now. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning and they asked me if I wanted gin. And, and you said, said, yes, please. I, I said, no, I don't oh. think I can. Oh. It's too early. Breakfast gin. Oh, just, um, breakfast gin would be awesome. I think so. I think someone needs to actually make a breakfast so gin. So he was really con- trying to convince me and saying, well, you know, it's, it's not that early in Australia, which clearly it's And it's interesting. You had the gin queen on, didn't you, a couple of we weeks did. back? Yeah. And yes. as a matter of fact, Sally Cap, our Lord Mayor, even was listening to the show. Ooh. She was in today on Saturday Magazine and she said to me, Fiona, I had no idea you were such a gin aficionado. And I went, oh, sprung. So it's so interesting. I've actually written for our global distillery tour. I got to tour four or five distilleries in uh, South Australia um, and oh. actually review them for a book that we're doing for Mother's Day, uh, which is a Lonely Planet's global distillery mm. tour because we identified a couple of years ago that 
boom in micro distilling and how that was actually becoming a real motivation mm. for travel. And this year, it was, or last year, I think it was, 2018, was the highest amount of new whiskey distilleries opened in Scotland um, since records began. It's just insane. That's it's a big, big explosion. And it's, and people, are, you know, those experiences like at Four Pillars, mm. you know, people want to go and actually kind of learn and yes. be educated and all that sort of stuff. I'll be myself actually taking off an escape hour in a couple of weeks yes. because I'll be doing a gin-making <laughs> masterclass. At Four Pillars? At, at Four Pillars. It's, it's brilliant. It really is. I mean, I've been there for drinks. No, but the masterclass is awesome. I'm yeah. doing like the let's learn how to make the gin yeah. thing. Mm. It's, yeah, it's, no. it's awesome. And, and also, if anyone's over in South Australia, Kangaroo Island Spirits actually does a banging um, masterclass where you'll actually walk away with your own concoction. Um, so that's awesome. There's a place down Mornington Peninsula that does that yes. as well. Is that Bass and, Bass and Flinders? Bass yeah. and yeah. Flinders. That's right, yes. And I mm. think the interesting thing is is that Bass and Flinders and uh, uh, Four Pillars both use different methods. Yep. So it would be good to get a bit of a cross-section. So, you, so you're going, Fiona, you're going to do both. I'm going to... <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Saturday one, Sunday the other, my weekend sorted. Well, technically, I'm going in support of my boyfriend who is has a gin still at home <gasps> and is planning to make his own gin. Oh. Shut up. Really? <laughs> yeah. We, he, I love he, it. He's got the... He's got the, the the, uh, he hasn't decided on a name, but he has decided that he's going to get his uh, granddaughter uh, the, to draw a little picture for the oh. front of the gin bottle. Oh, like, cute. That's cute. Yeah, that's very cute. Cute, but cute. Yeah. No, cute, no, so, totally cute. And there's a story behind that. Love it. Yes. But, you know, back to that, um, I know that we're getting off the topic, but we're back on the topic <laughs> is, for example, like I'm planning to go to Japan and I'll be going specifically for the um, Japan Craft Beer Festival. Mm. Because that's um, a fantastic uh, opportunity to experience craft in another country. Yeah, totally. And um, and I think that um, this kind of kind of leads us on to the topic, doesn't it? Which is all around all around travel trends. What are those new trends in travel? What are the motivation pieces for people mm. to actually go overseas? I think um, as a brand, you know, Lonely Planet's been really good at um, kind of identifying destinations and topicality and why is the reason to go and all those kind of bits and pieces. But over the last kind of half decade we've been really looking at the motivation behind travel. Mm. So those, those experiences, whether it's, you know, craft beer, whether it's, you know, micro distilleries, um, what is it that's motivating people to actually get out there and travel? Because that's often dictating their destinations mm. um, rather than the destination actually being the thing that they want to see first. It's kind of like, well, actually, I want to go and experience this kind of architecture or I want to go and have this themed kind of trip. And so, mm. therefore, I'm choosing my destination via mm. that methodology, which is actually very different from the way that we were often uh, choosing our destination, say, a decade or a decade and a half ago. Well, for example, Palm Springs has become, you know, a, an absolute destination for lovers of architecture Absolutely. and design in mid-century. Um, and, uh, you know, Chicago's always been a fabulous destination for people who love architecture. And, and interestingly, to, to the Japan point as well, you know, Naoshima, our mm. island, is a, has become a huge destination. You know, this is a mm. sleepy little fishing island, and then there's been all these other um, installations that have occurred on the islands nearby, and that means you end up dwelling there for two, three, four days, mm. spending money in that local economy. That mo- lo- that local money gets reinvested into those towns, and they all of a sudden become quite boomy. It's very interesting in terms of the way that that kind of economy 
economy of travel money actually works. Mm. So, but how does that change the experience itself, though, to have this increase in people and money going back into the economy? But it must have a, a little bit of an impact on the community. I felt well, obviously, not having experienced Nayashima beforehand, mm. it's really hard to do the comparative yeah. piece, right? But what I experienced when I was there was it was actually done very tastefully. Oh, yeah. So mm. it didn't seem like there was a huge interruption to uh, to village life, apart mm. from the fact that there were lots of Western faces on buses being shipped around or on bikes as they kind of went from exhibition to exhibition. A lot of the ex, uh, the big uh, galleries are actually on the other side of the island, mm-hmm. um, which is away from the kind of smaller villages. But there is one amazing uh, section that you can do where you wander through um, a slightly older town um, and you uh, have a, like a little card where you stamp off all the places and you open what looks like a, just, you know, someone's door and you walk directly into an art exhibition. It's amazing. Mm. I have been to that island. It's truly extraordinary. They have, you know, individual homes that have been taken over by artists. It's just gorgeous, right? Really beautiful. That's where I first saw a James Terrell Oh, yes, work. yeah, fab, fab, fab. And I fell in love with this work at that point. But also, um, you know, this is one of those places where you can go in and it's like, you know, Mike and I, my partner and I were standing, we're the only ones in this room in front of a huge Monet. Mm. And we're like, there's oh. nobody else here. Yes. This looks extraordinary. And I'm like, I'm like literally, you know, my nose is almost pressed against the art. It just was, it's was- fabulous. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. For those who have just tuned in, it's Stefan and Fiona hosting the Escape Hour with Chris Zaya from Lonely Planet. Lonely Planet all-rounder. I love that. Well, I'm not often know, described it as an all-rounder. We could call you a jack of all trades. <laughs> <laughs> Which do you prefer? Yeah, I like all-rounder. all-rounder. Okay, all-rounder. all-rounder. It does sound very... All-encompassing. It's good. Yes. I love How it. long have you been at? Um, oh, crikey! Um, I'm in. I just turned thirteen. So I've been there for wow. 13 years, which is which is kind of extraordinary. Um, I think when you know, uh, when you enter a place and you know it so well and it just, you develop and you develop and you learn and you learn. And with the travel industry, I think you get to go to the most extraordinary places and each one you come back f- with, with something else. Like mm. I've just come back from Seoul um, and I've come back with a real appreciation for, you know, modern Korean history, which I didn't necessarily have mm. before I went. Um, so I think that, um, you know, an opportunity to work for a company like Lonely Planet means you're just able to kind of continue to, you know, feed that, you know, that, you know, that stuff in your head, which kind of... That endless ad- learning. Totally. I think I miss my calling. I should have been a, a travel writer. <laughs> well, it's interesting yes. too because I, I could c- just settle with being a traveller. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Well, the other thing is that you know, the slight downside to it is everything that you do, you kind of see through uh, the parameters of a of a kind of reviewer as well, mm-hmm. which is really quite interesting. So you kind of judge every cup of coffee or every kind of craft beer experience or every food experience, have a hotel experience. Mm-hmm. You do kind of. It's sometimes hard to divorce yourself from mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I started in the marketing team um, I head up the sales and marketing division but I also write for the brand and I do you know opportunities mm. like you know uh, to speak to you guys as well so you know I am kind of an LP all rounder so it's great I'll take that <laughs> Monica and I'll run with it <laughs> well we're very so, thrilled to have you yes, again absolutely. so other trends in travel yeah interesting that we were talking about so 2019 we've kind of identified a couple of trends in uh, in our annual product which we do is just called Lonely Planet's Best in Travel um, and the travel trends element of this product has actually become really, really big for us. One of the 
big spiky um, parts that we're actually looking at the moment. Watching really carefully is a thing that we're calling DNA travel. Mm. Um, and this is where, you know, the, you know, the whole um, explosion of the DNA testing yes. kits and you kind of find mm. out the configuration of your makeup. All of a sudden, that's actually meaning that people are thinking, oh, I've got X amount of Scandinavian in me or X amount of, you know, uh, Eurasian in me or whatever it happens to be. So I'm then going and seeking out those destinations and trying to um, find out where my heritage comes from mm. and I want to visit these places, etc., etc. So um, it's become a very interesting, almost kind of bespoke trip, mm. which you can't you can't kind of create a guidebook for that, can you? Mm. Because people are kind of going, well, I'm, I'm in this kind of small village in Albania or wherever it happens to be to try and, you know, kind of seek out my lineage. I actually did a trip like this with my parents um, about four years ago uh, and it was extraordinary and one of the best bonding experiences I had with my parents um, because of the fact that we went into small town Germany um, and we were discovering a lot of stuff about my mum's side of the family which she didn't know Uh, and the end of the story I'll kind of fast forward to the end is that we ended up finding our ancestral castle on a little island just off the Baltic Sea. Oh that is certainly (laughs) not something you had planned. No 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 it was. So what part of Germany uh, so you mentioned the Baltic Sea. Yeah so mum's uh, we actually uh, through school records, through church records, and through um, so a couple of my grandmothers on my nana's um, school friends were actually still alive. So through anecdotes of those um, those people that we were able to talk mm. to, uh, we ended up in a really small town, um, almost towards the border of Poland, um, on the top mm-hmm. of the North Sea there or the Baltic mm-hmm. Sea, um, on the kind of base of Denmark, that little that little coastal mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. There's a little place called Insel Alf Ustom. Um, this is a little kind of like holiday island, and this is where we found uh, the town that um, that most of our, our, our my mum's dad's side uh, mm. grew up in. Um, and then we kind of went back to the Schloss or the castle uh, that was the namesake of the town, and we walk in and we see quite distinct pictures of um, uh, of the aristocracy and stuff from, from this particular area and it's like we have a very distinct shaped face and mum and I are looking at each other going there is no mistaking that we are related <laughs> to these people. It's like looking in a mirror. It's scary. Oh, that is really an extraordinary experience. Yeah. So, and how did, you, how did you start this experience? I mean obviously you did the DNA... Yeah, so so the the big part was was my mum's mum passed, Mm. um, and she was very much wanted to connect to. She wanted to connect to um, that side of you know her family. She wanted to learn more, and she'd lost her father quite early on. So this was a real um, experience for her in terms of really trying to get through. She knew a lot of stories that we'd heard when we were growing up, Mm. um, you know. So she really wanted to be able to kind of investigate those Mm. those things, Um, you know. And it was it was through, as I said, you know, church records, school records, you know, interviewing, you know, people that we were able to kind of make this trail from Berlin to this kind of small town um, that we were actually able to find find stuff. And I look at it, it as that, you know, one, the one when you have those travel experiences where everything goes right? Mm. So I had, we had this one day where every turn that we took was a winning turn and it just took us to another place and took us to another place and then we got to this final destination where we were obviously supposed to, we were supposed to find this kind of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So you really did some groundwork. So you did the testing, find out which area 
of Europe, and then you did this church yeah. record. So, so there is some work to be it, done. It's around. sort of more than more than your family tree. It's it's, it's like yeah. real sort of ancestral roots. Yeah, it was, and I mean, I think you know, I can't promise there's going to be a castle at the rainbow <laughs> at the end of I this journey forever. Everybody, <laughs> if you were going to make a book, a guidebook, it would have to just be a guidebook of people's experiences. Mm. If you could put a hundred people's different experiences into a guidebook, it would be so inspiring. We actually have that. We oh. released it. Like, we actually released. Oh. We actually I released. Come it. work for Lily Planet. Yeah, we released it last year. It's called Best Moment of Your Life, um, which is the best travel experiences that people have had, um, which are which has actually changed them and it actually mm. developed them. Mine was being descended into a volcano in Iceland. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, so yeah, we've, yeah, we've, we've talked, talked about, about that before. That's, yeah, before. But um, yeah. yeah, but mum's mum's now really connected to this uh, to this castle community. It's got a fascinating kind of like modern history. It was overtaken overrun by the Nazis in World War Two. Then it was given back to the local community for one mark. Um, so it's owned by the locals. They're restoring it via concerts. Um, there's the big family tree uh, that's in the centre of the um, of the castle kind of ballroom as well, which we can therefore trace our family tree back to the 14th century. Um, and Mum's connected to the um, to the ladies that actually work in the local community there. She's a good German speaker, so that you know it's something she will have forever. Now she mm. will forever be connected to this place, which we didn't. have have before we went mm. and that's why this trend is so unique mm. and it's really become quite a personal way of traveling you know and as i said we can't really create a guidebook for it but um it is one of those things that you know it's it's motivating people mm. to kind of get out there and experience the world in a very different way mm. my mother and father have done quite a lot of that on my behalf mm, interesting traipsed all over the uk visited um cemeteries Mm. Sat around churches. Cemet- yeah, cemeteries are a good one. Um, so cemetery, you know, in terms of where we where you kind of reach research, you know, church records were really big for us. Mm. School records mm. were good. Cemeteries are excellent. Mm. Um, but also, uh, you know, just kind of we when we got there, we actually heard a lot of stories mm. as well. So just kind of talking to locals as well, whether that's legend or whether that's fact, who knows? Mm. But it kind of adds to the whole pastiche of the whole thing. Exactly, and, and you, you never get a so good exciting. story or the truth get in the way of good story. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds really extraordinary, and of course, the fact that you found people that look like you—it uh, was—it was nuts. There was this—it's uh, just well, your mum and I look very, very similar, and it was—it was one of those things where I, I don't think it'll, it will be a memory that stays with me right to my deathbed of us just staring at this photo, this portrait of this uh, lady um, with big pearls and you know, you know, big frock, big hair, and we're like, okay, <laughs> there's no mistaking it. Yes, I had a friend who went back to the village. His family was from in Italy, and he said the freakiest thing was everyone looked just like me. It was so weird. A well, you know, you know you're connected, village. right? You know you're connected. Yeah, I'm not Ooh. quite sure how well connected he actually <laughs> felt, but they did look like it him. is a little bit scary. This, this kind of thing. You, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to go to a place where people look like me. <laughs> I do. I, one thing I do love when I travel, though, is I do love when you're actually out and about somewhere, and somebody obviously thinks that you're confident enough that you look like a local, and they ask you for directions. Yes. I always love that. Mm. You know, you can be on the streets of Helsinki, and someone's kind of like run some random Spanish tourist runs up to you, and it's like, well, apparently I look like a local. I look like a Finn. It happens to me in North Africa very often. Oh, interesting, right? And, uh, which I'm not hassled in any of those markets. Oh, I'm travelling with you. <laughs> yeah. Walk through. That's exactly right. And the first time I went to Tunisia, at the, um, the because my name is uh, Tunisian, and at the border, the, 
the guy said, are you sure you're French? I had a French passport at the time. I said, well, yes. Uh, and then they asked me for the first name of my dad, which was quite confronting. Wow, and he's got absolutely. a very French f- first name. And it's said Roland, which is... And they let me through. But it was really this thing, because they don't... Apparently at the time, that was like 30 years ago, they didn't like people that had settled in France. Yeah, for and sure. trying to go back and to... It's so, you know... And so it was, yeah, a little bit... Um, Yes, I find that super interesting because it also this is the whole kind of DNA aspect as well. It's about how cultures accept other cultures mm. when you're kind of um, doing that border hopping and stuff as well. I do find all of that incredibly fascinating. I was telling a little story earlier on mm. before we went on air that a friend of mine who I always assumed was half Greek and half Anglo did the DNA test and came back as 42% Italian. We have a message. We have a message from Brad. Uh, he says, and Brad's from Marvellous Melbourne, as we know. Brad says, but realistically, we have been travelling to discover uh, our family heritage for years. We may not have had the fine details of all our DNA, but typically we had some idea. But we ha- typically we had some ideas. When I was in Ireland at the age of nineteen, I discovered Loftus Hall was renamed under some con- after some conflict, and my family lost it. Oh. I hope with the, you know, oh. probably with the jewels and the and the furniture. Yeah, and, probably. And I think that is a, a, a sad story, Brad. He, Brad's point is really good, though, because it's now we actually have the tools to go to yes. a micro micro detail. Mm. So, and that's what's actually really fascinating about this. I completely agree with him. We've always kind of had some idea of um, our links back to particular mm. places, but now this whole like DNA testing kits and or and our access to information is better than it's ever been before. Um, you know, digitized school records, mm. digitized. Um, church records just being able to you know translate stuff um you know via you know via google translate and all those kind yeah. of bits and pieces well that's right i and, mean in yeah. my family we uh, the those increased number of records and my older sister taking the mantle from my mother in that area means that we discovered that the 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 senior, uh, the oldest uh, ancestor who we thought was a free settler was in fact a convict. Um, so we just got that information a couple of years ago. Interesting. I know. It's, it's a whole new ball game. Now we're going to take a quick break. We Thank have, you, Brad, are. for your input. Um, yes. I think we have a membership as well. Oh, we have a membership as well. Yes. Let me just... And that's... Uh, Let's Carmen from Brighton. So thank you for joining. Oh yes. Oh, and we have another. And um, we have another uh, actual uh, feedback which I hadn't resp- found. Oh my god! Oh my god! Guys, I'm heading to Chicago and Palm Springs in three weeks. Ah, fun. I know it's a little off topic, but please <laughs> give this old timer a few travel tips for those cities if you have anything. I like camp, theatre, food, architecture. Oh, I wonder. Thanks, yeah. Russ. <laughs> well, also, I have to say, Polar Vortex in uh, Chicago. Yes, uh, so, <laughs> Russ, you heard it here first. Polar <laughs> Vortex. <laughs> but that's finishing. I think it's uh, going to change from uh, uh, temperature going to rise by 30 degrees. Oh, the super next, right. Uh, the next week. Oh, miss out. So, 30 Celsius. Well, so, I certainly would not uh, wish your. Um, I think that you should reconsider Chicago. I'm sure you've booked, but Russ, uh, Palm Springs, it looks so beautiful. I have not been, but I ha- see endless Facebook posts of friends that are, have been. It's one of those ones that's on my list as well. Mm. So because apparently there's a great emerging food scene there as well. So you know, it's it's kind of really embraced all those things that you really want from a destination architecture. You know, really cool food experiences, all that sort of stuff. I would suggest um. Finding a, a tour and then not taking the tour, but just t- taking the location. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Joy 94.9 has a huge range of programs available for podcast. In fact, Joy is one of the largest podcasting communities on community radio. If you haven't checked out our podcasting service, you're missing out. Visit joy.org.au, click on the podcast tab and you'll find a list of Joy programs regularly sharing the best interviews, news and reviews. There's tens of thousands of hours for you to enjoy, so check it out now, joy.org.au. So we're talking all things um, travel trends. New travel trends. New What's travel trends. in 2019, 2019? Well, oh I think God. a building travel trend, which is, no reason, which is the mm. reason why there is now a book about it from Lonely Planet, is... Wellness. Yeah, so wellness is interesting. It's I think that's again one of those ones that's been around there for, for quite some time. But I think we are putting so much more effort into not only you know, not only wellness of um, of our bodies but wellness of our minds and these kind of wellness escapes have become such an important um, you know, motivation for travel as well and people are kind of seeking that stuff out. So much so um, and we've got we put a lot of articles online and we link mm. a lot of stuff in, you know, our travel news to kind of new new kind of places and experiences so many of them that we thought we were actually going to put this into a, a into a book product because there's so many experiences so we put together um 200 wellness escapes from around the world uh into a really nice little uh, little package that we're it's retailing it's a beautiful looking book it's gorgeous i and feel restful restful just, just looking, looking at it, at it. It's, it's got a really nice calm blue cover uh with a lady doing a little bit of a, a a yoga pose but it's it's interesting in terms of the way that the book has been structured as well because the authors have kind of taken those kind of 200 experiences and looked at it from a thematic point of view. Mm. So we've looked at it from, you know, kind of active wellness to calm wellness to, you know, health retreats into which have really focused on food. Um, we actually do the whole indulgence thing so as well, So which is my favourite chapter. <laughs> it's, it's not just all about yoga. No, definitely not. No, 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 no it's not. And again, it's um, potentially, you know, there are something like, you know, nine forms of mm. yoga that yeah. you can experience in here. But it also looks at wellness festivals. So mm. when we're trying to do these kind of products, this kind of publishing which is really publishing on a theme, is we're looking at places or areas that are not just destination-specific but give you access to other things that are around it that may actually fulfil the whole trip. Mm. Well, of course, Bali has remade itself as a wellness destination and there are probably more um, uh, retreats in Ubud than there are hot yeah. dinners. <laughs> and I have been many times mm. to uh, retreats in, in Bali. Mm. And it's interesting because we've actually, I think when you actually drill into the Australian content in here, you know, there's some great places that, you know, right from, you know, Hepburn Springs, uh, you know, right down to Flinders Island, Mornington Peninsula, Byron Bay, Hunter Valley, you know, it's all over the place in terms of where you can kind of access these things. But what, you know, going back to what we're talking about before with Naoshima, what I do like is when you're going to travel to these particular places, again, you might not just be staying in that one place, but you actually actively spend your money in those local communities mm. as well which mm. is really quite important well that's right i mean i know that they package up a lot of wellness uh, retreats with visits to local temples and other uh, events you can hear you know local music certainly that's what they do in bali so no doubt and with the peninsula hot springs i my tip personally mm. is get there super early yeah and get the top the top um, bath um, on the hill and then you can watch the sun i yeah. mean the sun's up so already. how early well, I reckon six six thirty. 
it's really good. Well, I did it once by accident because we oh. decided to go <laughs> and the only spot we could get was at 6.30. So we had to get up uh, so get you have at to five. leave Melbourne at 4 o'clock or something. No, no I think yeah. we left it. Anyway, we yeah. got there and it was just gorgeous. Mm. Don't you love it when you have something that's accidental that ends up being... <gasps> That's that's how you do it. That's now exactly I, now how I know. You do it. Yeah, I love that. And then of course you go out for lunch. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Don't eat in the cafe there. It's no great shakes, but go out for lunch to a visit a winery. Yeah. Mm. Exactly right. And again, you know, the money stays in those local communities. All I would say, though, is about some of the retreats in uh, Australia, wellness retreats in Australia, is they're so expensive. Yeah. And you know, I have tried to retreat in in Australia, but. I actually do not have that much spare cash. Yeah. I can go to Bali um, or another country and fly there and have a um, do it for less money. Mm. So yeah, that so what, is one of the frustrations I find with the wellness in, in Australia. Wellness industry, yeah. And I've, I understand why it's expensive. But. Yeah, I do think that one of the things that we've tried to do is, with this particular product, is give a um, breadth of uh, a breadth of budgets as well. So there are, there are quite a lot of places. There's one in particular in New Zealand where you're literally just staying in a tent. So there is, like, we are trying to uh, give people a variety of, of high-end wellness that where you're actually spending quite a, quite a bit of dosh um, right through to stuff that's actually only costing you 50 bucks a day, but you're still getting something, some extraordinary experience out of it. Mm, I mean, I had a friend who did a Tasmanian uh, uh, silent hike Mm -hmm. for like four days, a group Mm. of people. And you were sleeping in tents every night, and it was silent for four days. Oh, no, I couldn't have done it myself. Hand on heart. Chat, hand chat chat I totally, I'm with you. I was a silent hike? What? I'd be singing all the way. I'd be doing some Celine Dion as I'm going up the yeah. hills, and they'd be all like, shh, shh. Yeah, I know. Hiking's great for arguing with your partner and doing you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. But, you know, once again, that is a retreat. It mm. is. It is a retreat. And, it's, and again, look, it does come down to why it is that you want to go on these things and I think that's the fascinating aspect you know some people are actually going for yoga some people are mm. going for kind of active they want to go out there and they want to kayak or they want to hike or mm. they want to have those kind of active experiences others are about silent retreats or others are about learning about food and mm. food preparation and making mm. sure that they can actually take those learnings back and actually manifest them in their every day and I think that that's what's fascinating to us mm. in terms of when these travel trends emerge is how people you know take them and actually replicate them back in their, you know, in their day-to-day life. I certainly know there's a really great little meditation retreat um, and yoga retreat up in Lake Talarook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they do a wide variety of different retreats up there that are usually like three days. Yeah. And, and that's inexpensive. And there's also like lots of um, all like the, the festivals that kind of emerge as well. And there's, you know, there's often opportunities for you not to necessarily, it's almost like dip the toe in the water rather than actually go and spend five days in a retreat. It's kind of some of that might be actually quite intimidating, mm-hmm. but actually going to some of these wellness festivals and actually kind of getting a smattering of what they're what they're about and kind of say okay now I, I yeah. feel like I'm being comfortably introduced to this style of travel mm. or this style of retreat rather than going what's and all and going to a seven day silent retreat you know a little extreme that could be uh, so wellness and also, and I don't think the wellness trend is going to go anywhere Definitely soon. not. Definitely not. It seems that for every level of indulgence, there's an equal level of, of wellness that um, needs to, to happen. Down, it's the yin <laughs> to the yang, right? Yeah, it's like... Well, balance. I would love um, one day a friend of mine, Tracy Lester, who owns uh, Superfluid, ha- does a lot of wellness retreats, which is an organic juice brand, mm-hmm. and she does a lot of wellness retre- retreats around the world. So I would sometimes love, maybe love to hear from her one day about where some of her experiences. That'd be amazing, yeah. 
um, and she gets around and about. So uh, I think we are going to take one short break and then we've... Ladies and gentlemen, we've still got one more, one more. Uh, travel trend one for more you. Trend. So do stick, stick around. around and... I've missed my favourite show on joy. What do I do? What do I do? Podcasters to battle! Joy Podcasters fight on tirelessly to bring you the best bits of every show. So if you've missed something recently on Joy, don't worry, our podcasters have your back. Head to joy.org.au and click on the podcast tab or look us up on iTunes. Podcasters on Joy 94.9, fighting tirelessly for your listening pleasure. Welcome back to this, Cape Power. You're with Fiona, Stefan and Chris, the Lonely Planet All-Rounder. I do love that. We should have you as a semi-regular, like... Yes, Once every so. three months, mm. could you fit us into your busy Absolutely. travel schedule? Absolutely, when I'm in town. Oh, that could be that could be the hard part. It's always the hard part. <laughs> now, I think that what's interesting is that of the travel trends that we've discussed today, more than one, because we're about to discuss another one, have been a part of a bigger experience that you personally had. Correct. And now we're going to discuss dark skies. Yeah, dark skies tourism. It's really, um, this has kind of exploded in the last little bit. And, and this is when we, when we really went into the hardcore research on it, it becomes, some, some of it is a little bit sad. Like 80% of the um, total landmass in the world is light polluted. Uh, and roughly around a decade ago, this uh, a dark skies association went around and actually started to designate dark, uh, dark sky parks. So these are areas of the planet where um, you can actually see the unfiltered uh, nights sky. Uh, they offer things like, you know, uh, what do you call it? rangers doing talks and walking through mm. these particular areas. You can go to observatories and actually view the night sky uh, through those particular places. But what's happened is we've seen it now tip into the mainstream. Mm. So what we're seeing is we're seeing things like hotels uh, open. You know, there's a fantastic hotel in Chile which has opened and they've got glass ceilings, so you can see the night sky, and they've oh, yeah. got telescopes in their rooms. You can hire, you know, accommodation in Scandinavia, which are glass igloos, which kind of give you that full, almost 360 experience mm. of mm. the sky from kind of dawn to dusk, and then all the way through, um, all the way through the night. It's even tipped into the cruise industry. So the cruise industry is promoting, obviously, things like the Northern Lights experiences mm. or the Aurora Borealis mm. experiences. They do talks on deck of a night. It's really become quite a huge trend in the way that, that that people kind of go about seeking out these experiences. I was lucky enough to go to Uluru in the middle of last year and I did the Taliwiru dinner, which is the dinner where everything's kind of bush tucker expi- mm-hmm. in, inspired. You're quite a distance from the rock and quite a distance from Yalara, which is the main town there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're actually not seeing much light at all and everything's done either with really soft lamps or with um, heat flame. Mm. And that gives you the light. They turn it all down, and then you have the local. Uh, you have two guides come out. One that gives you kind of the Western mythology of the mm. night sky, and kind of talks all the way through. It. And it's extraordinary when the lights do go down, and it's this kind of show appears above you, and you're like, oh, "This is extraordinary." Um, and they, you know, they do the whole Western mythology thing, and this mm. is you know Sagittarius, this is Pisces, etc., mm. etc. Et but then you have the local indigenous owners or the traditional owners come, and they do the um, the indigenous interpretation of the night sky and I tell you I could far easily see emus and the serpents and the kangaroos that uh, that this guide was talking about um, rather than kind of Sagittarius I was like oh, I don't quite see that yeah, but it was yeah. Orion's belt yeah. I don't think so so but it was um, and then you walk away with kind of like oh wow there's this these 
you know, across the world, these connections, the same things, the same interpretations from different communities, mm. you know, different sides of the world, all trying to interpret, navigate by the stars, whatever it happened to be. It's such a, a it's with us constantly, and, and it's one of those things that all of a sudden people, travellers, are wanting to engage with it. Mm. Um, and we're actually finding that there there are you know more and more uh, parks. There's actually a place in Portugal called the Alquieva uh, Reserve, which is ten thousand square kilometres, and it was actually nominated for Europe's leading tourist attraction at the World Travel Awards. So um, it's actually become such a popular part of the way that people kind of travel. And what's interesting is I would have imagined that the Northern Hemisphere wouldn't have had many opportunities mm. for dark sky tourism because of the population and the numbers of people. And that's the trick. So it's really interesting. So Japan's really good for it. Mm. Scandinavia's really good for it. Snowdonia in Wales has become like a Snow- mecca. A mecca. Snowdonia? Yeah, it has become a mecca for it. So it's really, it's interesting. That's a quirky sounding name of a place, <laughs> Snowdonia. It's a, it's kind of like a little mountain range in in kind of northern oh, Wales, gorgeous. which is really which is really quite cute. But these these areas have all of a sudden emerged. Uh, and, and again, Chile is is one, another place in South mm. America that's that's very big on it um, because uh, it's one of the best places that you can go and see the night sky. Is there a higher proportion of southern hemisphere uh, places? For dark sky tourism. When it, when it was really interesting, when we kind of started looking at the Australian-New Zealand experience, where you would assume that would be mm. because we've got such open, vast, vast expanses, there are, actually aren't any designated dark sky parks. So I actually think it's a huge opportunity for um, for New Zealand and Australia to really kind of jump on this particular trend. Um, Stewart Island off the base of um, base of New Zealand is, is a place that actually is... is um, but that's really difficult to get to. Mm. Um, so, But I, I would think that, um, you know, promoting promoting, you know, the outback mm. in particular, Absolutely. you know, you'd think it's that this is a great opportunity. Because, I, I mean, that's one thing that you always notice when you have friends visiting from the Northern Hemisphere, because you can't, as far as I know, the Milky Way that we see so prevalently in country Victoria or, you know, on a clear night, mm. um, you can't see that much of the Milky no. Way because mm. it doesn't even exist that much, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, up in, in the Northern Hemisphere. Because of, and because of the dynamics of how the, you know, the Earth's rotation and where you're actually mm. based. What we have seen, so through the, the course of this year, so later this year, we're actually going to do a, a full book on dark skies experiences. Mm. So it actually allows people access into these areas, where they go, what kind of money they need, you know, how to actually, you know, how to actually seek out and find these experiences. We're actually also going to do a guidebook to the universe. So we've partnered with NASA. So NASA's giving us all of the content and we're rewriting the content in a Lonely Planet style mm-hmm. um, and we're actually going to do a big guidebook to the universe because we see this as, we see the, the skies and the ocean as the two next big areas that are going to explode mm-hmm. in travel over the kind of next decade, next two decades as, as access into these places becomes easier. So, Doesn't that, mm. Don't you find that a little bit terrifying? <laughs> I mean, haven't we trashed the ocean enough do we want more people to go down there and trash it even maybe, more? Maybe it's all about education, mm. right? Oh, yeah, I do see your point. Maybe if more people were down there and seeing all the rubbish, they'd be less likely to rubbish. So, Potentially. Mm. And on this theme of rubbish and ecotourism, so I assume all these places in the dark skies um, experiences are eco-friendly very, and are very yeah. well aware. Yeah, you're absolutely um, correct. And, you know, eco-credentials mm. are such an important part of, of everybody's experience now. I, I love the fact that we're hearing about cruise liners that are, mm. you know, are, you know, we think about these big ships that are kind of big polluters and they've got lots of stuff in them, mm. but they're trying to go, you know, certain, um, certain ones that I believe that go through Scandinavia and through... Um, 
the Norwegian fjords mm. are trying to become plastic free. You know, this is the stuff that we love because mm. it becomes about sustainable yeah. travel. So yes, travelling on those themes and travelling via, via those methodologies, but doing in a, a way that is incredibly sustainable, which doesn't do damage to the environment, but then, as I said before, brings that money into those local communities mm. so those traveller dollars can be invested mm. into um, into the areas. I think, you know, Hand on Heart, Lonely Planet often gets accused of, you know, wrecking the world because we kind of open these kind of destinations to people mm. and the people kind of give us, say, it's the Lonely Planet effect, you know, all these travellers go. But our responsibility is to educate in terms of the mm. ways to travel mm. responsibly yeah. and how to pick a responsible uh, travel provider, be that a piece of accommodation, mm. be that a tour mm. group, however it happens, mm. uh, so that you actually know where that money's going into. Well, I mean, mm. if it wasn't for Lonely Planet... Can mm. you just imagine what life would be like without Lonely Planet? It would be crazy. It would be, well, it just wouldn't be Australia without Lonely Planet. That's no, nuts. We turned 45. That's so crazy. It is crazy. So um, 45, uh, yeah, at the end of last year. So we're already talking about what we're going to do for our 50th anniversary. Mm. So we're going to have to do, we're kind of coming up with some kind of like golden kind of experience. But yeah, it's it's funny to think that, um, that we still do things today like we did them back when Tony and Maureen actually first mm. set up the business back 45 years ago so i think that 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 ethos and that ability to kind of go it's first person experiential it's travelers that are experts um it's reviewing businesses as anonymously as we can Mm. to kind of give something that's you know without fear or favor do you know what i mean i think that some of the benefits i've got of of having you know a guidebook um, and most commonly it would Mm. be lonely planet is being able to know what train to catch, where, how much you think it's going to cost. And then, you know, sometimes I've been in countries and they're like, how did you know mm. how what tra- how, I don't like it's uh, called a guidebook yeah it's, it's and it's, it's some of those real basic things which I really appreciate yeah. because you're getting a taxi and you don't know how much it's going to cost mm. and the, the guide will say it should cost you yeah, this so much euro to get there so you know you if know, you get you there know, and it's twice you're being there's something being wrong off. Yeah. But, yeah. and I I'm very old style I still trouble with a printed guidebook I cannot have an electronic printed. one I just have to have the printed copy of it and um, yeah I think the I printed copies are excellent it's yeah. just if you're trying to trim down your travel bag so you don't have to yeah. do the so you could just carry on i wouldn't go as far as having a map because i really can't cope with reading it but uh, <laughs> but the, <laughs> I, it's interesting so we, what we've ended up doing is is exactly that we've actually ended up kind of pocketizing that's not a word but i've made it up so um Good like a, a lot of our a lot of our products so really kind of shrinking it down mm. so it can just it's lightweight it gives you the kind of the key things to do yeah. and we do have our obviously our large big planning tools which are our kind of a big bricks of books but you know and they're still really popular um it's really interesting we had a huge um gear last year in terms of guidebook sales and we actually actually seeing it tick up and up and up we're actually in growth at the minute which is extraordinary mm. when you think about people are actually returning to it one of the things we often hear through our customer service lines is that people are actually seeking books for that are two or three editions old and we don't keep any aged content so we get we get rid of all of that mm. Um, and people are like, oh, you know, I've misplaced it, and that was my trip. So I I've want that. Yeah. So I want things. I want that piece because it's 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 nostalgia. And I do judge people when I go to open houses, and if they don't have Lonely Planets on their <laughs> on their book, I'm kind of like, mm, not so sure about the people. That have you even got here. a passport? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's judgy judge, right? Yes, I would probably do. But- probably be a bit the same i mean i find that if i'm exploring or experimenting with the country like i'm thinking about where i want to go but i haven't Mm. decided to plonk down for the guidebook i'll go to the op shop 
Yeah, nice. And yeah, I buy a pick up like yeah, a, a copy that's like that. you know mm. a couple of years old, and then I've got that as a bit of a guide, so I can start making decisions and yeah. start planning. And then before I go, I'll get the most up to date edition, mm. whether mm. it be in print or digital. Um, but at least I've sort of mm. been able to scope it. And if I decide to take the second hand copy, then I always just keep track, keep in mind that the pricing is going to mm. be a bit different. Pricing. And some places are quite. I mean, uh, you know that castle has been there for yeah, five hundred years. Yeah. It's going to be there. The restaurant might not we be do it. The hotel. We've, the only we've adopted thing. a little bit of a leave behind attitude. So when you actually take your stuff with you that we leave it behind in a hotel or whatever mm. for the next guest mm. and we kind of like re-gift it on and sort of say yeah. we'll leave this for the, leave mm. this for the next person. But it was interesting. I've just come from, from Seoul and Korea and we did a whole heap of work with the Korean tourism organisation because they're trying to understand the Western traveller mindset. And we're having a really good chat with the media, and the media were looking at our, our new guidebooks to Korea and Seoul, and they're like, "Why would you? Why would you pick to go there? We would, you know, as local Koreans, we're not interested in those places." And it's like, "Well, no, but this is not the kind of experience that the travellers that are travelling with on the planet want to actually have. They do want to go to a cooking school, and they do want to understand where you know the, your produce is coming from. You know, mm. they do want to understand culture, and they want to go to the palaces or the temples, or you know, have a look through the old school villages and look at the." architecture and all those bits mm. and pieces you might not be interested in it because you live with it every day but a traveler coming in is kind of yes, like yes. this is this is that that education piece like the broadening the horizon piece it's really quite fascinating mm, it's yeah, like it when is. you go to yeah. germany and you're when you're getting about in your birkenstocks and, so, and a german will say <laughs> why you wear such ugly shoes they're only worn by school teachers <laughs> and you're like oh sorry they're quite popular in australia <laughs> Very comfortable. I did have that experience once. That was hilarious. I love it. That was definitely a story that that came that came from truth, right? Yeah. Why, are you, why are you Australians wear such ugly shoes? We've got a. Uh, we had a phone call from Cat. Who oh, said, from Cat. Excellent. Cat said that she doesn't like retreats normally, but really likes Ubud in Bali, as it has a focus on wellness and yoga and good eating, and she would highly recommend it. And I think you would. I as would well. highly recommend um, it too, because you can go on these incredible retreats, and then when you're done with the retreat, you can go and have an incredible vegetarian and vegan mm. food they have amazing restaurants yeah, too, and I mean you know it is a bit tough when you're walking through the streets of Ubud um, and you're at a retreat where you might be on a restricted diet plan and people are <laughs> slurping cocktails and anyway but I would highly recommend uh, Ubud and, as and well. I'd also highly recommend going for the Ubud Riders Festival too so yes, oh. yeah, yes, so yes, Tony yes, Wheeler is one of the patrons oh. of the Ubud so he was obviously founder of Lonely mm. Planet is one of the uh, is one of the yeah the key people that's involved mm. in that well yeah. Janet Deneuve has been a guest on this show and as a matter of fact I heard a rumour that Ottolenghi the famous chef and writer is going to be at the Albert Writers and Readers Festival this year I love it I'm super excited by that and then there's Albert Food Festival you're listening to a Joycast from GLB TIQ community radio station Joy 94.9 Welcome back to the final moments of the Escape Hour for yet another week. Just for this week. Just well, for this more week. Next week. Next week. Um, actually, on a not relative subject, but talking about the um, increased uh, levels of tourism into small communities. Mm. Next week, we will have David Jones from the Minyan Garlic Festival. Oh. Um, and uh, the not only will he be able to talk about growing Australian garlic, and Minyan and Gippsland, he'll also be able to talk about the benefits, the flow-on benefits to the community. Really Perfect, love it. Love I'll it. try not to sample the, the produce next week. Well, I think all you have to do is just go and have the soup that I had from the cafe downstairs, because that had plenty of garlic in it, that's for sure. Anyway, so that would be next week. 
Lovely. Um, and I think we've got a great lineup for the following week. So we do. We're do, going cruising. cruising. We're going to Rome. Not the Rome. not the lesbian, gay, bisexual type of cruising. The traditional type of cruising. I reckon you can do lots of sorts of cruising <laughs> on a cruise ship. Oh, I'm sure you can. I reckon. I've actually never been on a cruise ship, so I did a very short cruise from uh, England to Hamburg. And it was actually quite pleasant, but that was only three nights. I don't know that I would want to do any more. I'm a bit of... Uh, look, I've, no, I've not done one before. My, my big one is the Norwegian fjords. I would like mm, to do the... You know, like, fly incredible. up to the Arctic Circle and kind of come Certainly down. Certainly some of those trips around Alaska look um, yes, extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that... Um, and, you know, Antarctica is another great mm. one. So I think cruising where you can get to places where you just actually can't see them, mm. that, that's super, mm. that becomes super interesting to me. And you probably can do the dark skies experience. Totally. To go back to, on this kind of cruise. Yeah. Totally. I'm surprised they haven't sort of put you on notice since you haven't done a cruise and you're the Lonely Planet all-rounder. <laughs> I well, think that's the um, next trip, Chris. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, it's, I have a, yeah, Abel Tasman is about, <laughs> that's a good one for me, overnight sleep yes. in destination. <laughs> yes, I've done that one. You that's did, the yeah. one. I thought it was really fun. Yes. I had low You'd expectations and I loved it. Oh, I mean, let's not exaggerate, but no, it was it's, fun. It's, it's super fun because you're asleep for me. Most of it, right? Yeah, you're asleep for most of it. It's quite <laughs> rocking. Um, so yes, I would I would recommend it. And the food's not at that bad. Oh, it's not able Tasman. Spirit of Tasmania. Sorry. Well, oh my goodness, yes. we have to go. Well, thanks, Chris, for coming. So we, <gasps> thanks for having me. Thanks. And right. I'm going to take my little badge of all rounder with me, with and take it with pride. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy ninety four point nine. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast. Brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.